You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. If you have your Bibles, look with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. So if you're beginning at the beginning, Genesis, it's about like eight books in, you'll come to 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you're turning there, I came across a, a hilarious story this past week that I wanted to share with you today that kind of leads into what we want to talk about this morning. There was a a redneck family from the hills of Arkansas. And obviously, I'm from Arkansas, so I know about this stuff. Um, they were visiting the big city for the first time, and they went to this large shopping mall. So there's the dad, there's the mom, there's the son. Um, and the, the wife's shopping, and the father and the son are just walking around. They're just like total amazement and all that they're seeing. But they were captured by this one particular object, and it was um, this thing that had like two shiny doors that would open clothes opening they're just they're just staring at this um and the son says to the father says what in the world is that and and the dad who had never seen an elevator before said son i I have no idea so they're just watching doors open close and as they're watching there's this elderly lady in a wheelchair who comes up pushes a button on the wall the doors open she rose in, the doors closed, and they, they watch the lights light up above the elevator. The number's going up sequentially, gets to the top, then it starts to come back down. And then the shiny doors open, and out walks this absolutely stunning, gorgeous, young blonde. And the dad says to the son, without taking his eyes off of the young blonde, he says, quick, son, get your mom. <laughs> and obviously, he had, a, he had a biased action. He thought, I don't know what this contraption is, but maybe it'll help out and in the family situation. Well, this morning, we're continuing this Unsung hero series, and we're going to talk today about King Saul's son being Jonathan. And specifically, we're going to focus in on a biased action, a biased action. You know, if you think about it, just about any and every significant event that's happened in our world happened because someone took action. I mean, think about it. Just kind of let your mind drift through individuals' events. I mean, I think of like, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison invented the incandescent light bulb, the first movie the, uh, movie camera. Uh, actually, Thomas Edison has record number 1,093 patents to his credit. But how many of you know our world is a different place because Thomas Edison had a biased action? Or I, I think of Abraham Lincoln, maybe one of the greatest presidents our nation has ever known. He held the office of president in a very adverse, difficult season in in our nation's history. And he would be known as one of the greatest presidents today because he had a biased action. Even in times when it was adverse and difficult, he made the decision. Even if it was was a wrong decision, he had a a biased action. You know, I I think of Martin Luther King Jr. um, and the civil rights movement. I mean, here was a man who stood for the equality of every human being. And today, our world is a different place because Martin Luther King Jr. had a bias to action. Uh, He was wrecked by the the inequality, the the issues of oppression, uh, and it moved him to action. I I think of Mother Teresa, this this little woman in Calcutta, India, who has impacted literally millions of people. And if you read about her life, she just had a bias to action. She, she was willing to move. And, and if we look beyond even to individuals in Scripture, I mean, there's just like so many illustrations. But I think of Noah. I mean, God calls Noah to build a boat. Noah had never seen a boat before. I mean, he didn't know what a boat was. God says, build a boat, a big boat. And Noah, what, he moved to action, and he became a part of God's plan. 
I think of David, 1 Samuel 17, we have the story of, of this little shepherd boy going out on the battlefield and, and taking out Goliath the giant. I mean, while Saul's army's retreating in fear, David says, hey, I'll go fight him. Well, he had a bias to action and won this great battle on the battlefield. I, I think going into the New Testament, I think of Barnabas. You may not be familiar with the name of Barnabas, but we would know Paul, and Barnabas had an important role to play in Paul's story because before Paul became Paul, he was Saul, and he was a, a killer of Christians. And he has this road to Damascus experience that turns his life upside down. He gets radically saved, but all of the apostles are like running from Paul because they think this whole thing's just like a cover-up. And they want nothing to do with them. But it was Barnabas that went and got Paul and brings him to the apostles and says, hey, this is like the real deal. This is like a genuine turnaround experience. And, and so the, apostles, the early apostles accepted Paul and he became the Paul that we know today. But Barnabas was the one who had the bias to action that brings Paul into this leadership role. I mean, think of our, think, think of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Listen, Jesus knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. It was not like he didn't know. And he went anyway. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to beat. He knew that he was going to be crucified. Yet he went anyway. Listen, you and I today have the benefit of redemption and restoration because Jesus Christ had a bias to action. Can I get an amen on that? Man, he went to the cross. He had a bias to action. You know, in Hebrews 13, 8, the scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does that mean? It simply means this, that what Jesus did, he's still doing, right? What he did, he's still doing. So he's still at work in our world today. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for men and women like yourself, teenagers that would be here, college students. He's looking for folks just like you to do his work through in our community and in our world today. What's he looking for? He's looking for individuals who have a bias to action, who are willing to partner like faith and action to join him in his work. I mean, I, I think of my good friend Justin Reeder, who's a businessman here in our community. He's not a pastor, not an evangelist. He's just a businessman who owns a company, and he got wrecked. He got wrecked by the Holy Spirit concerning the issue of abortion. And he says somebody has to do something, and he stepped up to be the someone. He had a bias to action. He said, hey, we got to get the church involved. So he mobilized the church to 40 weeks of prayer and fasting, going every Saturday into the city, a prayer walk around one of the pregnancy centers. Last year, there were 80 churches mobilized. Over 10,000 people fasted and prayed and showed up at the prayer walk. Get this, last year, 411 lives were saved as a result of one man who had a bias to action. Think about it, 400, come on, 411 ladies chose life because one man said, I can't stand this anymore. Had a biased action, and in his action, it's there that, that God revealed his greatness. You know, it was Dr. Albert Einstein who said, the world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. As a church, the body of Christ at large, I'm not speaking to anyone specifically because I don't want to condemn you with this statement, but as a church, we've not been the salt and light that God's called us to be. 
We've been guilty of sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing. Therefore, evil is prevailing in our community. Well, because we've not had a, a biased eyes. Listen, folks, there's no way around it. Our community becomes a better place to live. Our world becomes a better place to live. And God's kingdom moves forward when individuals are willing to have a biased action. When individuals are willing to step up and say, God, here I am. Use me. When individuals are willing to partner faith with action. Listen, here's the reality. You'll never take big heels without making bold moves. You'll never take big heels without taking. In other words, if, you're gonna, if, if, if God is going to do great things through your life, it's going to require bold moves. It's going to require a, a bias to action. I love the statement. I have it there in your notes this morning from, from Bob Moad who says, most people don't aim too high and miss. They aim too low and hit. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for living in such a way that we make him small. And that we aim too low and we hit when God has greatness for us. I mean, we all believe the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Basically, God's saying, I want to bring greatness in your life and I want to work greatness through your life. But the challenge is oftentimes... We aim too low, and we hit. And we miss the greatness that God has. What I love about Jonathan in this story we're going to focus on today is that Jonathan didn't aim too low and miss. He had this bias to action that positioned him for God to work dynamically through his life. And, and through his initiative, Israel won a great battle. And before we get to the story in, in 1 Samuel 14, let me give you a broader context of what's happening in the story the Philistines, which is a group of people who are oppressing the nation of Israel. And actually, this happened pretty much throughout King Saul's reign. There was, uh, and he was a king for 40 years. There was this ongoing conflict between the Philistines and the Israelites. Philistines and, and at this particular time, the Philistines have like oppressed the Israelites. And the situations become really difficult. Matter before we get to the story in, in 1 Samuel 14, in, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, the scripture tells us the Philistines have gathered this great army. Matter of fact, it says uh, they had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore. So the nation or this group of peoples gathered their forces and they're going to attack the nation of Israel. And to make the challenge even greater, the scripture tells us in this story that only Saul and Jonathan had a sword and a spear. Because in this time, there was no blacksmiths in the nation of Israel because of the oppression of the Philistines. They didn't want them to have blacksmiths to make swords, to spears, to have artillery. So it was only Saul and John. So out of the whole army of Israel, two men had weapons. Everybody else had a club or a sticker or a rock. I don't know what they had. But only two men had a sword or a spear. It was Saul and Jonathan. So in this story, the setting of the story is we have Saul's armies outnumbered. They're, um, they're, they're ill-prepared. They don't have the proper artillery. They don't have weapons. And it seems like that like destruction is certain. Like the odds are like way against them. And then we have the, the turning of the story. And it came about because one man, Jonathan, had a biased action. So let's pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows, speaking of the Philistines. Perhaps, 
Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. So, in other words, Jonathan said it. You know, it really doesn't matter if we got the whole army, if it's just the two of us. You know, we, we have God with us. Notice verse 7. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then, we'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes where they were hiding. The men of the outpost showed, uh, shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Verse 15, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp in the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. The ground shook. In other words, God sent an earthquake. The ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. If you read the rest of the story, Israel routs the Philistines. What looked like a place of sure defeat actually becomes a place of victory. And it all happened, again, because Jonathan had a biased action. And that's the key point in the text. There's this turning point in the story, and it happened as Jonathan said, hey, let's move. Let's take action. It was his initiative that's the turning point of the story. So let, let me just tell you what I see in this story concerning Jonathan. First thing I love about Jonathan is that he didn't wait for the opportunity. He created it. He didn't wait for it. What did he do? He created it. Well, everyone else in Saul's army was either hiding in fear or retreating. Jonathan took action. He tells his armor bearer, hey, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. So rather than waiting for the opportunity, rather than waiting for ideal circumstances, what does Jonathan do? He creates the opportunity. He says, hey, let's go over and see if God might want to do something great. Let's just make ourselves available. He creates the opportunity. You know, I think oftentimes, oftentimes we're guilty of not taking action in a crisis situation or a place of need or, or the Holy Spirit's prompting us to, to go to someone, to talk to someone or to do. We don't, we don't move because we're waiting for an ideal circumstance or ideal situation. And I'm wondering, could it be that sometimes, like Jonathan, we need to create the opportunity. We, we need to step out in faith and move. And this is what I know. As we step out in faith and move, it's then that God works in our lives and through our lives. I mean, what we find consistently throughout Scripture is that God responds to faith. What is it that captures the attention of God, that, that moves God to act on our behalf? Well, it's faith, right? That's a question. It's faith, right? Wake up your neighbor. It's faith. So what is faith? I, th I think faith is this. Faith is having a strong conviction that God can and you take action. Faith is not just a belief. 
Faith is that I believe God can and will, therefore I'm moving before I ever see it happen. And then as I move in faith, I get to see it happen. But oftentimes, we're waiting for the opportunity when God says, no, I want you to step up and step out to create the opportunity. I'm reminded of, of a story that proves this out. Mark chapter 2, there's a story of a, a man who was paralyzed. Because he was paralyzed, he couldn't get to Jesus. But the good news for the man is he had four friends. Four friends who came to him and said, hey, Jesus has come to town in the town of Capernaum, so we want to take you to Jesus. So they get their paralyzed friend on the stretcher. They carry him to the house where Jesus is at, and they get to the house. Maybe you recall the story. They get to the house, and there's such a crowd that they can't get their friend to Jesus. Now, the good news for the friend is that, uh, for the paralyzed man is his friends didn't say to him, oh, sorry, bummer, not your dad. We're going to take you back home. What did they do? If you read the story, Mark chapter 2, they created an opportunity. They went up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof. I mean, that's creating opportunity. They had a bias to action. Tore a hole in the roof. They let their paralyzed friend down to Jesus, and their paralyzed friend was healed. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 says that Jesus saw their faith. Catch that, their faith, the faith of the four friends. He saw four friends who were willing to create an opportunity. He saw four friends who had a bias to action. Therefore, he responded to their faith and healed the paralyzed man. He went to the house, carried on a stretcher. He left the house carrying his own stretcher. Why? Four men had a bias to action. So could it be, could it be, That God's calling you to create the opportunity. Could it be that God's calling you to step out into an area that he's leading you into? You know, as we look on in in Jonathan's story, what we discover is, is that his action was based on a God conviction. Or his initiative was fueled by by his confidence in God. If, if you look back to the latter part of verse 6, Jonathan says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. In other words, Jonathan was saying God can do whatever God wants to do. Jonathan was saying God is is able. See, his action, Jonathan's action was not based on some bravado attitude or mentality. His action was not based on, like, I'm going to prove myself a great warrior. His action was not even based on, like, you know, gaining the approval of his dad, who was the king. No, Jonathan acted because he had a God conviction. He had a God confidence. He knew that God could, even in a situation where they were outnumbered, because if you look back to the story, there was Jonathan and his armor bearer, that's two, and there was 20 to 25 Philistines. How many of you know 25 is greater than two? You know what I'm saying? 25, like that, those are not good odds. If you were going to go into conflict and there were 25 of them and two of you, you might want to wave the white flag. You know what I'm talking about? They're not good odds. Yet Jonathan went up. Why? It was his confidence. It was his, his conviction that God was able. What Jonathan knew is that God plus one is always a majority. God plus one. God plus you. Is always, always a majority. Now, there's no one in the room today who would say God's not able. Matter of fact, let's do just a really quick survey this morning. How many of you would say this morning that you believe that God is able and that He can do all things? In other words, He has no limit. Just raise your hand really high if that's you. 
So we believe, if you, I mean, from my viewpoint, you can't sit, but everyone had their hand. So we all believe that God is able. Here's a great question. If we believe God's able, why do we not live like he's able? Oftentimes there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we live. Jonathan not only believed God was able, it was his belief, it was his conviction that moved him to action. Luke 137 says this, "All all things are possible with God. Ephesians 3.20 says that God's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, imagine, or think according to His power that's resident in us. Romans 8.31 says if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, as you grow your God confidence, then you're more likely to move to action. Why? Because you realize it's not about you, it's all about God. That's why... Hear me, friends, that's why it's so important that you come to times of worship like this. That's why it's so important that you're consistently in the Word. That's why it's, it's important that, that there's this ongoing lifestyle of worship that's happening. Because when you're in the Word and you're in worship gatherings like this, when you're living a lifestyle of worship, what happens? Your God confidence grows. In other words, your God conviction. God becomes greater in your life. Then you're like a Jonathan who's willing to take to, to make the move, even when the deck is stacked against you, even when the odds are against you. Why? Because you've been fueling your faith. You've been building your confidence in God. It was Jonathan's initiative that was fueled by his God conviction. And then we, we see here in the story, his proactive response opened the way for God to work through his life. If you look back to verse 13 and 14, not only did, did God empower Jonathan and his armor bearer to kill like some 20 plus Philistine warriors, but God sent an earthquake that caused the whole Philistine army to, to panic. I mean, there was such chaos. We didn't read verse 20 in the text, but, it, but verse 20 reads like this. It says that Saul and all his men found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. In other words, they were killing themselves. God sent the earthquake. There's panic that's happening. Simply stated, Jonathan's bias to action and his faith initiative released the power of God. Now, now here's a great question. Do you believe that God was able to bring the earthquake before Jonathan took action? Sure, I mean, sure he was. He could. But he didn't. God didn't send the earthquake. God didn't reveal his greatness in the midst of this situation until someone took action. And it was in the midst of Jonathan's action, of his biased action, that God then revealed his greatness, that God did then what only God could do. Could it be could it be that we fast and pray? And I'm, I, listen, I'm all for fasting and praying. This is not a statement against fast. I think we should fast and pray. I think, I think those spiritual disciplines should be a part of our lives. But could it be that at times we fast and pray and we're waiting on God to act, but He's waiting for us to take action so we can act? He's waiting for us to move. I mean, we find this principle pretty consistent throughout Scripture. I mean, you go to the story in Luke 17 of the 10 lepers, 10 men who had leprosy. They come to Jesus because they want to be made whole. 
And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't just pray over them and heal them. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they were on their way, the scripture says, interesting, as they were on their way, they were made whole. In other words, as they moved to action, then the, the miracle of, of their bodies being healed happened. I mean, we, we find a similar situation in Mark chapter 10. With blind Bartimaeus, he's on the side of the road begging. That's how he made his living, by begging, because he was blind, couldn't work. Jesus comes by and he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd's saying, shut up, be quiet, he doesn't have time for you. And if you read the story, the scripture says that Bartimaeus continued, and there's this continuation of him crying out, but it was, it was his proactive response that, that captured Jesus' attention, that opened the way for Jesus to heal. His, his, his sight was restored, and one day his life was like totally turned around, and it's all connected back to his proactive response. Could it be this morning that you've been, you've been asking God to move, to work, to reveal His greatness in an area of your life, and God's saying, not until you take the first step. Not until you have this, this bias. It was his proactive response that, that opened the way for God to work. And then it was, it was Jonathan's willingness to move that set the stage for significant victory. It was his bias to action that really became the turning point, the hinge point for the nation of Israel. Saul's army went from trembling in fear to, and being totally outnumbered to routing the Philistines. And again, it all happened. Because one man had a, a conviction that, that, God, that God wanted to do something great. And he simply, he's, he moved out. He, he took action. I, I think there's a great lesson for us today in this story. And here's the lesson. It's really simple. You're not going to experience victory while you're sitting on the sidelines. You're not going to do something significant that's going to impact this community or impact our world sitting on the sidelines. But victory comes when we're willing to, to take the step. Victory comes when we're willing to move to action. Listen, and this relates to so many different areas of your life. Listen, you'll never get into the great physical shape you want to be until you take action. Right? You'll never come to the place of financial stability that you want to come to in your life until you get a plan and take action. You'll never break that bad habit, whatever that bad habit is, until you take action. You can pray about it, pray about it, pray about it, but until you take action, listen, you're not going to break the habit. You, you'll, listen, you'll not come to the spiritual breakthrough that you desire in your life and that even God desires for you until you take action. You're not going to experience the spiritual growth in your life that you desire until you take action. I mean, it's all connected back to being willing to move. Listen, here's the bottom line. Initiative is always the first step to victory. You want, you want to get the victory, then you've got, to, you've got to have the initiative to take the first step. How many of you know you never get there if you don't take the first step? Isn't that true? But it requires us what to, to have a bias, to have a bias to action. Is that I believe that when you're willing to act, God will meet you in your action just like He did for Jonathan. So here it is this morning. It, it's your move. It's your move. 
As I wrap this up, I want to leave you with three questions that just hopefully will challenge your thinking process about where you're at and what's God saying to you today. Here's the first question. What move might you need to take to open the way for God to work? For you. Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about someone sitting beside you, their life, for you specifically. What move might you need to take to open the way for God to work? You know, in our hurried and busy lives, I don't know if there's, an, if there's ever a convenient time to make a difference. But there is a right time, and the right time's now. The time, the time, the time is now is when we see the opportunity to move. So, so, so what, what move do you need to make? What is it the Holy Spirit's been prompting you to that you've been putting off and waiting for the ideal circumstance? You've been waiting for the right opportunity. Or we make it sound real spiritual. I've been praying about it. And I'm all for praying about it. I don't don't want that to... uh, I'm sorry I said that. I don't want that that to sound... um, I don't want you to take that lie. But I am for praying about it. But oftentimes we use that as an excuse to keep us from moving. Well, I'm just praying about it. So what area in your life right now maybe it's someone that you need to have a difficult conversation with maybe there's an issue in our community that god has prepared you to step up into so what move what move is it that you need to take to open the way for god's work in your life listen no one no one absolutely no one has ever thought themselves into significance we act ourselves into significance what move might you need to take for god to open for you to open the way for god to work in your life? here's a great second question who do you need to travel with to fan your faith if you look back to the story that we just kind of worked through jonathan had his armor bearer in other words it wasn't just jonathan going up against the philistines it was jonathan and armor bearer and the armor bearer basically says jonathan i'm with you Whatever it is that God's called you to do, I'm with you heart and soul. But the armor bearer, the armor bearer gave Jonathan resolve and an adverse difficulty. So in other words, he had someone to fan his faith. So who, who is it around you? Because this is what I know about us humans. Every one of us needs someone every once in a while to kick us in the tail. Right? Come on, you know it's true. Every one of us needs someone every once in a while who can encourage us and motivate us and challenge us. Now about, about four months ago, I was in a situation where I needed to make a decision. I was, I was trying to discern the situation to make the decision. And to be quite honest, I just got stuck. I got stuck in the situation and I was doing that. I just became complacent in relation to this issue. And I had... Three armor bearers. I had three men of God of great faith who came to me and they said, Pharaoh, it's time to move and we want you to know we're standing with you. And, 
as a result of their statement to me, it motivated me. And, and it's amazing what God's done in the past four months. If I had time this morning, I could tell you some amazing stories. But I needed an armor bearer. I needed someone to come and fan my faith to get me from a place of being stuck to unstuck, to get me to a place that I was willing to move. So again, here's the question. Who around you fans your faith? And if you don't have someone, you need someone. Now, who is it that you're traveling with that can encourage you and motivate you and, if necessary, give you that kick in the seat of the pants that get you moving? So who do you need to travel with to fan your faith? Here's a great third question. Are you confident that as you step out to do God's work, He's going to meet you? He's going to meet you in that place. Listen, folks, God is faithful and trustworthy. He is good to His covenants, and He's good to His promises. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Listen, as you step out to do God's work and you have a bias to action that partners faith and action with God, God's going to show up in your life. And Listen, when you step up and you step out, what's going to happen? God's going to show up. And God's going to do what only He can do. Listen, this is what I know today. You're limited, but God's unlimited. Right? You're limited, but God is unlimited. What does that mean? It means that He can do amazing things in your life and through your life. What does He want to do? Listen, I believe that God has greatness for you. Turn to your neighbor and encourage him. Say, God has greatness for you. Say it with conviction. Listen, it's true. God has greatness for you. God wants to bring you to greater opportunity and greater works. Listen, don't aim, don't aim too low and hit. God wants to do greater things through your life. I'm confident of that. It, man, it's revealed throughout the Word. What do we have to do? We have to be willing, like Jonathan, to have a bias to action. We have to be willing to move. We have to be willing to step up and step out. We have to be willing to partner faith with action because that's where God reveals His greatness. Don't be guilty of waiting on God when God's waiting for you to take the first step. Jonathan created the opportunity and in that, God revealed His greatness. As we move this service toward a conclusion, the worship team's going to lead us in a couple songs of worship. And, and what I want to invite you to do is to focus on the greatness of God. Because as we declare the greatness of God, what happens is that God conviction grows within us. In other words, God becomes bigger, if I can say it that way. God becomes bigger in our lives. Because again, the challenge for most of us is that we live in such of a way that we make God small. Rather than living in such of a way that we make God big. So as, as they lead us in a couple of worship songs... I want, I want you to focus on the greatness of God and then just be listening. Holy Spirit, what move do I need to make? Holy Spirit, what, what, what are you calling me to? This first song that they're going to lead us in, I want you to listen to the words of, of the first verse. It goes like this. Speaking of God, it says, You hold the oceans in your own two hands. To you, this earth, this earth we're living on, is just a grain of sand. 
God you are and you'll be. You've, you've always been. Those three lines speak of what? The greatness of God. Then verse 3 goes like this. So we will follow you, God. We'll follow you and not grow faint. In other words, we're gonna, God, we're going to move. We're going to move so that you can bring your greatness in our lives and work your greatness through our lives. As we conclude this morning, I want to invite you to pray a prayer. And it's a dangerous prayer. I want to tell you before we pray it. It's a dangerous prayer. If you're not interested in God working in your life, if you just want to stay on the sidelines and hear me, listen, there's no manipulation this morning. I never want to manipulate you. If you want to stay on the sidelines, that's your choice. But if you're willing to say, God, I want you to work through my life. I choose to have a bias to action. Here I am, Holy Spirit. That's why this prayer is so dangerous. And that you're really saying, God, I'm a candidate. I'm a candidate for you to work through. I want to be like a Jonathan. So again, no pressure. If you're not ready to pray this prayer, if you don't want to live dangerous for God, then um, stay on the sidelines. But if you're here this morning, you would just say, I, w- I want to be that candidate. I want to be that person. Now, I just want to invite you to, to pray after me. I'm, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. You just repeat after me. God, we declare that you are great. God, we declare that you are great. And we believe that you're doing great things. In our time and in our community. Today I'm making myself available. For you to use. I commit to have a bias to action. I commit to partner faith and action. And move as you direct. I am believing for greater works. Greater significance and greater impact for your glory. Here I am. Use me, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer teams if they would come as we conclude today. We have leaders here available. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, wow, please, please don't leave this building until you talk with these leaders about how you can have a relationship with a God who loves you outrageously. May be the greatest decision you ever made. Listen, it's what you were created for. If you haven't made that decision, please come see one of these leaders. Beyond that, listen, on all of our campuses, Grace Covenant, we believe that all things are possible with God. Not some things, but all things. Therefore, we pray bold prayers. So if you have a need, a physical need, a financial need, whatever that would be, We have leaders available for the next few minutes. They're here. They would love to pray over, just to speak God's word over your life. As you go into your week, not only do I pray God's blessings and favor on you and for you, but I would encourage you, look for the opportunity and be willing to move. May we be those who live our lives in expectation. Again, listen. Don't take a big God and make him small. May you live your life this week, the coming weeks, throughout this year in such a way that God can bring his greatness right where you live. God bless you. Have a great week.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.